looking for the king of podcasts, you're at the wrong channel. Looking for good ideas for life, you are far from good hands. If you think the listener is always right, you are far from the right place. Hosted by a Northeasterner by birth, a rebel by choice. If you want a host that floats between love and madness, then play on and listen to Crazy Train Radio. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers! I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Mmm, I love scotch. I love scotch. Scotch is got scotch. Here it goes down. Down into my belly. Mm -mm Mmm-mm-mm. Don't mess with me, I'm one crazy mofo. Hey there, Friday fans. We know how much you enjoy the movies. Enjoy grabbing your Friday merchandise and interacting with the Friday family, whether it be at conventions or during our particular watch-alongs. Well, when you're looking to get yourself masks, why not check out our friends over at Camp Blood Customs out of New York State and order your specific custom mask from any other films. All orders are made specifically. Your needs and wants are. Make sure you find Camp Blood Customs on Facebook, Instagram, and all over social media and order yours today. Hey everybody, this is Mike McGurk. And you may know me from the first female ring announcer with the World Wrestling Federation coming to you and happily to do so on Crazy Train Radio. This next guest is not just a typical little girl from Tulsa, Oklahoma, as she is one that isn't afraid to get her hands dirty as prior to hit and record we were talking about 
some of her other careers. Growing up, she actually had other parents calling her parents to ask to have her stop kicking their sons in school. So that should show you how tough this lady is from an early stage. So let's go ahead and welcome this next guest. She is the daughter of the legendary promoter, Leroy McGurk. Miss Mike McGurk. How you doing, Mike? It's it's truly my pleasure and to be um, asked to be on your show with you two. Um, uh, I I don't know how to uh, come back out of that um, terrific entrance. That's a great intro. I can I'm gonna record that and play that every night before we go to bed. So there you go. Somebody did their homework. Um, how did you? I guess you have caught an interview or two of mine about uh, be kicking the boys at an early age. Yeah, I believe it was another interview you did with a guy named Sean Mooney who was of your era in the WWF. I'm just glad it wasn't one of the mothers still calling in. So, <laughs> Hey, guess what? We have so-and-so on a line. Hold on, line three. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, before we get going, I would like to let Dr. Michael Anno, who is joining us from California again, bring something up. As prior to recording, you were talking about Matsuda's daughter and something she's got going on. So why not go ahead and bring that up? Uh, on my other show, uh, Wrestling Coast to Coast, we had uh, Hiro Matsuda's daughter on about a month ago. And of course, because your dad was the kingpin, whereas Sam Munchnik, NWA president, you know, kind of controlling the heavyweight championship, your father, and I may be the only living photographer left who had shot in his territory, George Napolitano and after did not. I came in there uh, around 72, 73, 74 and shot some Leroy shows, which were terrific. But um, Hiro Matsuda and Danny Hodge, of course, one of the great, great feuds. And your father was the empresario of the NWA Junior World Heavyweight Champion. And a, a guy that uh, I had to work with in the Roy Shire office, um, Joe, uh, not Joe Malkowitz, but uh, uh, his name will come to me. He ran San Jose. John Swinsky was a guy that your father beat uh, one of his, I think, two times, if not more, for the NWA Junior Heavyweight Championship. And this was, I mean, almost on par with the NWA title. It was very prestigious, all of those guys. But in particular, you know, when people think of that, they think of your father. And then a little later on, Danny Hodge and Hiro Matsuda. So Hiro's daughter has put out a book, Out of the Blue, that we're trying to promote. And she wanted to get a hold of you because you guys have sort of this kinship. And she said her father always spoke of your, uh, your father, Leroy, in regal terms. And I have written about Leroy too, because I think along the same lines, uh, he doesn't always get you know, the attention and recognition that he should in that ilk with you know, all the greats, the original Tunney in Toronto and Gus Karras and uh, Geigel in Kansas City, etc. Your dad was, you know, huge, huge, huge. I just want to ask, in knowing a lot of your history, anybody can IMDB it and stuff out there, but um, I know, well, what, what were you doing in your dad's promotion? Because we know when WWF came in and a guy I know well from the Shire office, Terry Garvin, who Pat brought in to work for Roy Shire, Later, he worked, you know, for Vince, blah, blah, blah. He suggested Vince contact you about the, the ring, the famous ring. 
and you were doing timekeeping, but in your dad's promotion though, had you done any vocal work? Where did you get your vocal training for that amazing voice? And I mean, did you help set up the ring? What were you doing in your dad's promotion and, and you know, up until 84, 85, 86? You ready for this? Yes. <laughs> I was, I, there was, um, the only training that I had was from the very beginning is listening and observing all the matches as a, as a kid and growing up, never even knowing that I was putting this all together of what I felt the fans wanted to hear. Um, I, I, I never sat at ringside. I'll, for, I'll never forget Jack Lanza when um, I was about to go on that night um, because there was a uh, radio announcer that uh, oh, uh, Jack, uh, Jack Jack was instrumental in starting me um, at, just to put me on the mic. He looked at me, you know, with the clipboard and uh, he said, this guy's out of here. And he was from Memphis, Tennessee. It was on my mom's birthday. Like, oh, and Pat too. Oh, wow. And, and Jack came down there and he goes, well, he goes, you've been at ringside, haven't you? And I looked at him and I go, no, that's for paying customers. I didn't, I sold programs and and helped sell tickets, but mainly I was out there in the entryway um, selling programs. And then I set out with uh, the building help um, uh, in Tulsa. And then when we'd go on the road, I would help my mom uh, with the tickets um, and just learning and listening. I think a lot of that was just listening. I didn't get too much of a chance um, during the um, Watts days. Uh, and that's where I, I think power comes into it. Um, jealousy things, because I wanted to be so much a part of the business. I grew up in it. I didn't have a choice. I mean, you got a name like Mike um, and you knew I knew I was never going to be a lady wrestler. I wasn't that that built or had that mindset. Plus the fact that I, I'm scared to death of my mom, of my dad, because I remember all the time that we would come into the arenas and, you know, the fans would come up and say, Mr. McGurk, Leroy, is that the next lady champion? And I could see he always wore his sunglasses and I could see that eyebrow. I always tell everybody and I said, anybody that knew daddy, knew that then when that eyebrow that one eyebrow came up it was um you know be beware of what that next answer could be but it was no and it was not anything um for lack of respect of how he felt about the lady wrestlers it was that he knew what it was going he didn't want that for his daughter um because of the brutality and what their bodies go through and well, and it's hard it, stuff that billy wolf had done uh, which was fairly traumatizing to all the female workers, you know, uh, veering back and forth between Mildred Burke and June Byers and traumatizing them. And, you know, so sure. yeah, it was good that he was protective. And of he, he was very protective of, of me um, so much so that, you know, I didn't, I, I wasn't aware as the word, you know, I still protect that guy. I mean, it's, I didn't even, you know, I knew kayfabe, but I, my, my dad never, never smartened me up, Mike and Jonathan, ever. Um, it was, it was um, Ted DiBiase. So, it was, uh, you know, I, I, in, in a sense, I think 
I had uh, an idea, but I, I, I absolutely believed and still do to this day. I know for a fact that um, they can say whatever they want. I always know that my dad said it was showmanship, but everything that happens in that ring is real. It's very real. Um, however, the outcome, and I know I, I've been in that ring, not as a, you know, that was my total respect of it, that um, if I could have anything to do with this business that, that made my dad so well and that he loved, he loved the amateur part of it. And I think too, you know, he had so many fond memories of those glory days um, of, of Danny and, and, you know, and, and Matt Sudi, he loved being close to the boys. That was it. He, he, he was a boy, you know, it was what, um, some gentleman said one time, he said, well, that's why your dad wasn't a great promoter is because he had the heart of the boys is because if there was a family issue, he let him, he he let him be with the family. You know, family was first. I, that's how I grew up was around the wrestling families. They came they came to your house. You know, you get to, you ate dinner with them. Um, I learned uh, Italian food and, and what pizza was before pizza came out um, through uh, wrestlers, Argentina food, through Argentina Zuma, um, Matsuda. Matsuda was, uh, I, it's, my dad was so fond of Matsuda. Uh, he was just a young boy. I was a, a child again, taking in all these characters and they were characters to me, you couldn't imagine um, because our life was um, business. My mom helped my father. So, you know, it wasn't like, okay, when they got home, that, that, you know, that, that chapter was closed. That chapter was open. It was 24 seven. When we took a vacation, it evolved around wrestling. But when I met Matt Suda, um, he was a young man a young boy, I can can attest to that, but there was a joke that they played on him. And he, I'm sure, has passed it on because Oklahoma Territory was tough. Heck, I had Pat Patterson, you know, um, tell me about my dad's territory. Um, uh, gorilla always, you know, and I'm like, Gorilla, you were there? And he goes, oh, my God, 58, 59. Those, he goes, Louisiana was horrible. And they were, you can imagine, with not having right. four-lane highways. The voice complained about the drive. Oh, my God. Yeah. It was nothing. Uh, and I now, I did get to do that. I, you know, that was one thing that uh, my dad ran me through the ranks on that. He goes, yeah, you want to know what that road's like? Get on it. So we would have, um, we had an afternoon show in Homa, Louisiana which is south of uh, New Orleans. And that was an afternoon show. And we had to have be in Tulsa the following day. And we did that every week, about every other week. And then um, from Tulsa, you'd go to Shreveport. So, I mean, it was long and grueling and, and not good pay, you know, and it wasn't, it was, you know, ticket prices weren't what they are now. Um, but, um, you know, I think that we wouldn't have had what we had if it was really bad pay, but um, my dad was fair in those days, but you talk about the names uh, earlier, um, Terry Garvin, you know, I knew Terry and, um, and again, I'm, I'm a kid at the office. I didn't stay at home. I was there when the guys would come in and Jimmy was a little old bitty blonde kid that was uh, with Terry and um, I Ronnie, think Ronnie. Ronnie the yeah. Two, yeah. yeah. The well, he was the first that I thought, Oh my God, there's somebody 
kind of near my age. And because <laughs> all these other guys were, you know, they were um, pretty scary figures and they wore masks and um, they had uh, dual personalities. You know, I never knew for a long time that Al Lovelock was Bolo. So, um, you know, <laughs> or I'd be, you know, I was never uh, to be around the back. I understand how that goes. But the one time maybe if we came in through the back and Al would have his mask on, he scared the living daylights out of me. All he had to do is say boo because I was I was I was out of there. Any, you know, the assassins were still are to me. If somebody mentions Jody Hamilton or anything, I'm like, those guys were tough. Um, I have a picture here of a sellout crowd uh, in the Tulsa Assembly Center, and um, it's the assassins. And so, <laughs> um, and that was that was rare. That uh, his that partner Tulsa... Tom Ernesto nearly killed our terrorists yeah, yeah, in, yeah. in Los bet. Angeles. He was the Trojan horse when Annie Gunkel, who was another pioneer, you know, I, I want to shut up and throw to Jonathan in a sec, but. You, of course, set the stage. Now it's commonplace to have all of these women. Lillian Garcia afterwards, every promotion now has a female ring announcer, females that do commentary like in Ring of Honor, et cetera. That all comes to you. I tried to research and see if all Japan women in the 50s in Tokyo had any female ring announcers. No. So to my knowledge, you were the first, unless you can correct me. Obviously, Randy Savage as Liz and Barbara Clary in Florida with Gordon Soley. They just did little interviews and for a very brief time around 81. But you were the first full timer and you debuted at a house show. It was 87 was TV for you for challenge. But in 86 at the historic Mid-South Coliseum, before I forget, when I came in, though, there were other guys. I mean, when I was in there, your dad's territory, huge names like Fred Blassie, his visiting family came in, Bobo Brazil. The guys who I saw there, obviously, um, Cosro Bazzari started there. Your dad got him through Vern Gagne. They were close. And I think that was Cosro's first territory. I saw Skandar Akbar work for your dad as a baby face. Yes, I, with Danny. Yeah. yeah. And uh, the Mongol, I forget which one of the Mongols that was. Killer Carl Krupp teaming with Siegfried Stanky. Uh, you know, they were the killer Nazi Germans for your dad and so many others. But before I forget, too, and I know Jonathan probably asked, I saw a dog. I'm a dog nut on your chair there, sitting underneath the photo of Elvis at the uh, the special, the TV special, his comeback. Do uh, so you have a, what kind of dog is that? And I hear you're a huge Elvis person. And, oh, my and, God. I named my daughter Priscilla. <laughs> but are you like Pam Banner? Did you date the king? Oh, my, no, no. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, Hi, Jonathan. That, I have a, a corgi that is rather lounging out right now. I have three of them, uh, corgis. Um, but I did not date Elvis. Um, what I'd like to, I, heck, I just uh, got so close to meet him. But how I got to start seeing him, of course, I knew the story. There was a story that my dad always said when he used to have, I don't know if you remember that he used to have, uh, um, I'm, by partnership, and I know there was a fellow named Les Wolf, but he used to have Memphis, Tennessee, and this was before I was born. So he would tell me of the story of a young kid that would come there with his parents and would beg to play in between the matches or at least uh, during intermission. And my dad would say, go away, boy. Those are those words that I was like, oh, my God, Daddy. I said, did you ever let him? He goes, oh, maybe a couple of times. 
but he said, I can remember this poor old kid. And he, uh, he goes, who would have ever thought, but you know, back in the days, daddy even knew, um, of Colonel Tom Parker. And he goes, well, the Colonel was a self-given name because he was just another carny looking for and, and promoted many Pearl. And there was a couple of few acts that, uh, that Parker had before he got a hold of, of Elvis. But like dad said, you know, when you had running wrestling like that back in the day, they kind of intermingled. Everybody knew everybody. This wasn't this big, big world, but, um, uh, and, and, you know, I, that was the thing that my dad was just like, who would have ever thought? So moving up in, uh, so when Elvis started live in 1970, one of the first places he came was in Oklahoma City. Well, dad having the, daddy and mom having the connection, there were three offices held in the Tulsa Assembly Center at the time. One was Carson Attractions, was which was your ticket outlet. Was it like, you know, you didn't have this online thing anymore you had your local so um in the middle was hockey and the third was wrestling well they were friends and so obviously when uh, and my mom turned me on to elvis in 1963 with the um uh, wonderful movie of viva las vegas which i did get to see ann margaret so those little connections of having tickets and uh we got to see ann margaret out in vegas when they'd have the nwa meeting i loved those um, but so I, I got to go and see him the first time in 1970 and we continued on um, whether he would come to Tulsa or Oklahoma City. So finally, uh, in 1973, he was in Oklahoma City and Tretch Phillips had come up uh, from Memphis, which was a friend of my dad's. But also too, um, Uncle Vester, which was Elvis's uncle, which was Vernon's brother, was the guard keeper at uh, Graceland. And he was very close to Sputnik Monroe and Tretch. So anyway, we got front row seats and Mike and Jonathan, this is, I was, I was a shy girl back in the day. <laughs> I was up there at the front, Elvis comes up there to the stage and I, I freeze between the front row and the stage. And I'm just looking up because he's larger than life to me, just, and, and drop dead gorgeous. But here's this movie star, you know, here's this guy that I've followed since I was, God, five, six years old. And, um, and have all these albums. I liked the Beatles and I've liked other things, but Elvis was always there. So here I am finally in um, about the third try. My mom's pushing me, Tretch is pushing me. My girlfriend had already got up and gotten a scarf. So this is probably my last chance. And he, he walked to the edge of the stage. And of course the police are meeting me each time. They're just probably shaking their head. He, he drops his mic cord like he's gonna, you know, do a noose with the policeman. He said, come on up here, honey. And I just, <laughs> I froze. Had it been now, that would have been a different story. But I, I, so my mom and my dad always explained to me that, you know, kind of have a, a, an understanding with the fans. Back in when I was growing up in high school and going to school with uh, people that, um, oh, a lot of my uh, people that I went to school with, they were doctors and dentists and professional people. And then you had my dad. Some knew of my dad's career, um, but most kids, you know, they'll take it and go, yeah, wrestling. And, you know, it'd be nothing for them to give me hell over um, the word fake. Well, I was all prepared. And that's probably where kicking the boys came in because I was always standing up for the, you know, that was, that was that's who I was. Well, 
and and not only that, I think it was just a reason to kick them too. So, <laughs> um, but my and because my dad raised me tough. I um, how can you not be? And I think I know it's not. I think I know why he did because of his blindness and that you know he couldn't. He felt that he couldn't be there for me, and uh, he didn't want me to be weak. And how can you when you've got such an iconic? And I do say that um, my dad has brought me through many situations and he's been gone since 1988, but it's the fortitude that he had to never give up. Um, uh, if, if it's in your gut, if it's in your heart, don't let anybody else tell you. Um, and that worked for him, not only professionally, um, but also too, and with his blindness, you know, I, I, I can't even imagine what it was like as uh, I've just got through telling, um, I will do a plug here for, um, uh, JBL and uh, my friend Jerry Briscoe. Briscoe, there's Oklahoma Connection, Jack, of course. But, um, you know, I think that that he did that uh, uh, as a protection for how his, his blindness was towards him um, because he could, he, you know, he, he wasn't always blind. And you know, he was born with two eyes. Uh, one eye was kicked out at an early age and and the only sport that would take him was wrestling. And so, I mean, not only did he diversify, you know, from amateur and his whole career was headed, I think both of you all, it's well-documented. He, he was a journalism major with a minor in psychology um, and journalism was his love. And I was, uh, I have a couple of his yearbooks and, you know, you go back and thinking he was such a proud young man and a gorgeous man. I, my dad was pretty, he had a really, good looking jaw, but he was, he, even in the yearbook, I noticed that his, his photo was taken at a side. He, you know, he did not show that eye. I, from what I remember and what I was told, I believe that that one eye, when it was taken out at such a young age that, and he was a poor boy, um, that it was stitched um, because daddy was born in 1910. So you got to think this is 1920, 21. I'm not sure exactly. He was, very vague about that, but something he didn't like to talk about, I'm sure, um, of how it was how it was kicked out. And so back then, that's what they did. Instead of having a, a socket, they stitched it. So I noticed even back then that, um, you know, he had that side view and I'd look up, you know, here he was on um, the Redskin, which was the yearbook and all these, not only was he great in wrestling, you know, but his love was, he saw beyond that. He was going to, um, and make a living. He didn't, you know, we didn't have, I don't think that, was, I know that wasn't in Oklahoma because it was Sam Avey. We go way back. That was a promoter out of Canada that came to Oklahoma um, and really set some cultural um, standards for Tulsa at the time being wrestling, wrestling, um, uh, professional wrestling. Then he um, uh, stage shows, hockey. He brought hockey in. Um, and he was a promoter. He was the guy that brought Oklahoma City and, and Tulsa. But, and then he went on to uh, own a bank and lots of real estate here in Tulsa. So Sam was my dad's mentor. And it was Sam that um, had discovered or had watched my father's career. So when my dad was working for the Tulsa World, he'd already graduated. And um, he was there at the sports desk. And it was Mr. Avey that came to him and presented the idea of uh, professional wrestling and kind of outlined of what he had in mind for him to do. 
Um, and it, the story goes. Um, so this would probably been, if he graduated in 33 from OSU, but it was Oklahoma A&M. Um, so he probably 1934. It's documented in Tulsa World's first 100 years. They had a book come out and it's documented of people that worked for the paper and then went on to other careers. My dad, my dad was in there, um, uh, but he came to him and he said, what are you making here? And my dad told him, he's like $25 a month, a month. And it was good money. He was a college graduate and working. And he said, how would you like to make $25 a week? And my dad left the paper. But he always carried that journalism. Uh, gosh, uh, I, he wrote all the stories. I was just answering somebody on a messenger um, recently, and they were like, I'm, "I wasn't aware that he that he uh, that he wrote those stories." And I said, "Yeah, I'm, that was another part of, of listening, looking, an only child, and you listen to these, you know, the stuff that's going on. You, you know, as Dad said." you're to uh, be seen and not heard. And um, and barely lucky at that, but they took me on the road and I'm so thankful for the things that I've learned just for that, to be able to tell on down the line that how my dad would get uh, like a free mention as long as, he, and what he knew to do was write the story, be it in, in, in ready form, ready to print form. And do you remember, I know you do, um, Dr. Mike, uh, the, what we called mats, M-A-T-S, but it was uh, the photo image put on like a, right, a right. piece of a, you know what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, yeah, and so I, that he would- wrestling, but it's a photographic thing. It very, yeah. I want to throw this in and then get Jonathan because he hasn't been able to say anything. Munchnik had told me in his office because he was fond of, of your dad, because of course, Sam's claim to fame was as a baseball writer. So Sam mm -hmm. Munchnik was also a journalist. And that's why he had all that cloud in St. Louis. All the actual sports writers were friends of his. So that's why it was presented, you know, more sports-like than anywhere else. Uh, also, your dad was such a pioneer because a guy I saw there, I forgot to mention, Silento Rodriguez was a deaf guy that worked for your father. So how cool is that? How forward-thinking? Uh, and that's why we were so angry at the time. We thought, Jesus, what has Watts done? We really thought it was an ugly, aggressive thing of like Watts doing what he did. And many of us that toured the territories as photographer writers were pissed at Watts because we loved Leroy and we loved him because of guys like Silento and, and other things, people that- Tom Jones. Work. Yeah. You know, look at that. He, what a what a guy that was, a wonderful guy. Look at, I don't know if you, do you remember Oni Wiki Wiki? Oh, of course. Yeah, he did. Yeah. God, it's like home week talking to you. Cause so, you know, so, uh, Jonathan, honey, I'm so sorry. I know no you're right here with us, but if you've got, if, if you're gonna get, listen, I, it, I just haven't had the time to sit down and talk with Mike because I learned from him because here he was in the territory. And when I still wasn't there, I was still in school. Um, but you, you were there and you, that was the, the whole thing of the Watts deal is the partnership. I knew that how my dad felt about it the first time and it didn't work out. Um, and then the second time Bill did make it stick. So, um, you know, there's, there's people who love Bill, but there's people that um, the relationships I saw wane 
that my dad had had pre-Watts, just how close he was with Vern. You know, Vern got the title, you know, when my dad had to hold, uh, have the tournament. And it was Ganya that got it, um, the junior heavyweight. But I mean, you know, my dad, somebody else, God, Mike, sent me a photo and Jonathan, I mean, it was just like, oh, it took my breath out, took my breath away. And it was senior and my dad, and it was when, and I can remember the trip to Toronto, Carol Krauser was up there showing us. You remember Carol Krauser? It's Carl Gotch. That was the work name he used. Carol Krauser. How, um, Carl he, Krauser. Uh, he took us around Toronto, but I, they showed inside the meeting and oh. it was uh, senior and my dad. But I mean, in, in the other photo was this boardroom, long table of guys in suits and cigars. And I mean, heavy, heavy, I mean, every name that I ever grew up with or ever knew from the globe, from NWA, because that's, you know, that they came together. You had Japan, you had Australia, uh, I, LaBelle, I remember, I mean, dad would talk to me about California. Um, gosh, Don Owen, you know, all of these names, these guys I grew up with that, were promoters, and of course, Geigel and O'Connor were like, um, I, God, Laurel and Hardy to me, you know, I, mean, I, love, I, I loved, I got to know them, but the tough guys. Um, can you imagine what it was like for a girl growing up like this and seeing all this and the respectability that I had that I knew, you know, just to see my dad go down on all fours in the ring, because he used to work with the guys, maybe you knew that too. Um, and he enjoyed it. He enjoyed that. Um, that was another way of him, you know, uh, knowing what they knew of. Because, you, know, you know, I brought up uh, DiBiase, but Iron Mike, same thing, out in Nebraska. So um, DiBiase, Iron Mike. So, you know. Yeah, and they were talking because he came into my territory when I started in 66. He came into Los Angeles for Mike LaBelle's uh, stepfather, Cal Eaton, promoted before he died. And then Mike LaBelle took it over via Eileen Eaton. I want to, uh, let's really bring up Jonathan. Last thing though, you should have gotten a, a smile in 73, 74 when Annie Gunkel after Ray died in the Atlanta area and all of Georgia, she took on the entire NWA. I know it. Out of Paul Jones, the promoter, not the worker. Paul right, Jones, right. his head booker, besides Renesto, et cetera, was Bill Watts and Annie Gunkel was kicking his ass at house show attendance and all of that for about a year and a half. She was beating Watts in attendance yeah with all of her stuff, because she went renegade. It was one of those great territory wars. A, a female, you know, it was huge. Jonathan, let's shut up, or let me shut up and let you go. Well, there is just so much there. Yeah. But there is just so much stuff there I can jump into. But Miss McGurk tried apologizing for those two chatting or gossiping it up. But it just made me think of something that a recent guest said and that was dc the brain supreme from the band tag team from the early 90s and it fits here with what he said there is nothing wrong with just learning to learn so just sitting here listening to you guys tell stories melts my heart and makes it grow dr mike would know from previous conversations we have had whether it be during the food bank fundraiser we did talking old school wrestling or interviews like this. I would think he knows that I appreciate the old school of the business. We can kind of see my CNN look with the books here. And some of the books are old school wrestling like Harley 
Grace or Terry Funk, as we mentioned before you joined us. So I just appreciate listening to the stories. Sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. I'm, I'm, it, you warm my heart very, because I, I feel that this is what you just said, that I felt that you were you know, learning and, and loving this, so, or you wouldn't have reached out or at least even be close to uh, the historian up there, Dr. Mike, because there's got to be that connection there. Because Mike, I, I swear to God, you got to be like, um, if you were in this territory shooting and, and doing this in 72, um, you you must have been a young one, uh, young. Thank you. I have some my my daughter Priscilla coming through and my granddaughter, but yes, um, and I do have a son that's two years younger. I'm just to add that. Did I think about naming Elvis? No, I always I always <laughs> tease about that. It was like no, no, Priscilla. Yeah, I mean that was just a given. So anyway, back to that. But I appreciate that. And and uh, again, if it, Mike saying the things that he does you it's it's my history it's my fabric it's what you know it's part of me and he you know to take me back to that and and um to kind of feed off of him to tell him what what I thought I saw was going on what I heard my dad say you know behind the doors or you know not in the office because there was one personality in the office um and then to come home and let it out, you know, um, and, and the, um, of what, what was he doing right? And, um, you know, I think there was just so many changes and had it not been successful, Watts wouldn't have wanted anything to do with it. I don't think so. Um, and I, as far as animosity or anything like that, a lot of people want to put that in there or, or that be the next chapter of, uh, drama. No, it's business. Um, and uncle, but I mean, I think I know that Watts was um, was not really in tune to a female doing that. You know, he there was some intimidation there. Um, uh, he himself told me one on one, not around my dad, um, that I had no place in this play, in this business whatsoever. <laughs> None. Um, there was no future, um, and that I was. Uh, 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 you know, just some things that uh, I listened to that wasn't true um, of how my dad felt because he was, you know, again, I, we were close, but yet I, I, there was, I would never think of some of the things that these kids do today. I, you know, my dad was approachable, but um, be sensible about it. You know, I, my mom was the, the softy, but, you know, you didn't, um, you didn't show weakness around my dad, nor you wanted to, and surely um, not go with and date. You know, I I was a scorned woman um, to date uh, Ted DiBiase. But, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I, that was the first, you know, that was something that he used to refer to. I asked Jerry if I said, do you remember more Siegel? And I in that picture, Mike, it also had more Siegel in there. But I always heard my dad, nothing against this or anybody look it up and call the daughter or something but my dad she must have had a reputation of going with or dating the boys and my dad was like you're not going to be like this and I'm like who's more a seagull <laughs> uh, I was defined by uh, another or, promoter uh, 
That was a promoter before Paul Bosch in Houston, if anybody. Right, right, right. I, I learned. But at the time, I'm like, you know, give me something that I can go on instead of something like that. But um, that was, you know, and just to bring up Fritz von Erich. I mean, the, when I graduated high school, it wasn't my it was friends from around the country. These these names that would, you know, that, oh, Leroy's daughter's graduating. And, you know, I've known them through the NWA meeting and going and growing up in there and not getting to go into the meeting until years later. But I was always with my parents and um the kid and I, uh, when I was younger, I used to get a lot of stuffed animals. So I know they were buttering up the boss. <laughs> it was, that was okay. That was all right. Well, I just um, to know here if I can jump in here. If I could jump Absolutely. in here, I'm curious to know. And with everything that you said and Dr. Mike has said, and makes me think of something I have in my notes that I heard you mention. I don't know if it was Sean with Sean or with Jerry and JBL. Or, you know, because you haven't done millions of interviews like some other talent. and Well, it's obvious, Jonathan. I'm kind of hard to catch. <laughs> yeah. You were talking about, is this, am I doing the right thing when you were traveling solo? But also, uh, yeah, I guess start with that. With a, you felt like you were a. Uh, were you doing the right thing at this time? Oh, as far as getting by the, in the time, by the time that um, I've been told no by so many people, you know, years before, <laughs> um, I wasn't taking no for an answer this time. My dad was was not doing well, but this I knew um, this was the vehicle because he'd been out. Oh gosh, probably two years. Sold out in '82 or. Uh, made a deal with uh, um, Satan. So I don't know how to explain it, but whatever happened uh, between my parents and, and Watts, I did not sign a no compete clause. They did, but we kept one wrestling ring. There was only in the deal, the package. That's where I was going to go with. I had the brain so part. That's how it happened. And how I felt by that time was really it was based on getting my dad out there making some money um and getting my dad back you know like hey i've got this opportunity and did i ever know about the ring beforehand heck no i had gone literally mike understands full circle from being um, a promoter's daughter seeing it from that end from the office end to ground going and not literally I can say that ground level, you know, you don't have a show if you don't have a ring, um, you know, there's all other components, but you know, in the end they came to see a show and that ring better hold. So I knew, I knew I had that and I knew, Hey dad, we could go do this. And, and, you know, and, and I always knew Pat, Terry had told me Pat's going to be at the first show in Oklahoma city. I did one in Tulsa, but um, uh, the first, first one I was, was in 1984. I did Oklahoma City, and then they came back within three months, and we did Tulsa. So we were running literally two years later against and in my dad's old territory. So that was kind of like woohoo, um, and it was just the ring. But mm -hmm. I, I wanted to. It, that was uh, never thinking anything else, just except bringing my dad out to see the guys because. Um, 
I can see that uh, the two years on the ranch and how he missed the business that what kept him going. A blind man and you don't have anything going in that mind and you sit around all day and you can't see your beautiful ranch and you can't see this and you can't see that. Your mind needs to work. Um, so that helped him. Then the relationship. And I was, obviously there was um, great love between my mom and dad and there's there's books and things. There's And I want to digress a little bit because it's, I wrote it down. Um my dad does not get the mention that he should. <laughs> and, and I, uh, of, of the things that he I'm, did. I'm do fighting it. for that. I've been fighting for that for a, a while. And, um, you know, so hopefully we're uh, making it clear what a total legend he was as an athlete. And uh, I mean, come on, uh, the career like promoting is spectacular. He, you know, let's go back to the, what television. And he was listening. You know, television was new and he had, you know, he'd been out there in California, Russell, that was, had that not been for the scare, um, you know, what that was about, it was because of World War II and, you know, there was this scare of what was going to happen to California and it was going to fall off the, you know, and bomb, but he, he remembers the lights out, he remembers those old roads people were talking about, well, he wasn't flying and, and from what I always understood, he drove it. Um, and could tell you back in the day um, where you were. Uh, he could do that in New Orleans. If you would tell him an intersection, Mike, if we were down in the French Quarter, you tell him where we were, he could tell you how to get to Felix's. He could tell you how to get to Al Hurt's place. He could tell you exactly because he had it in his mind. So I, I knew that. And that was another thing is like the recognition of, of um, bringing him on the road was really the drive, as Jonathan was asking, um, and the opportunity was like, hey, dad, it ain't over yet. And that wrestling ring that we we're going to put up in front of the ranch might be well to bring out of the back 40 and the cattle. We had it up there at the ranch. And uh, um, this is, you know, and I, I know in his mind, he was like, Vince, because he, he senior had died. And, he, you know, it was something to under to try to make him understand. And I go back right to the television where I went go to the fifties to now to where he was thinking, how is this possible? How is New York coming in here? And we're seeing New York or we're seeing Atlanta and, you know, to see him try to process that because he would tell me when when, when television was new, they came to wrestling for content, for programming. And that's, you know, that that's the truth and how it changed years later where <laughs> we're paying them. But, um, uh, Mike can probably attest to those days. Well, the uh, Dumont uh, Network was that's that became ABC, but wrestling was the mainstay when the Dumont Network started with Gorgeous George and yes. Fred Kohler. Fred Kohler out of Chicago at Marigold Arena. So Dad saw television back um, as it was evolving and what it could do for him, and that's how you know the the territories were defined by good sportsmanship, but it was really defined by where your television was. You know, how far did you, how the, did you, cause you couldn't own, especially in Louisiana, own something that, you know, you don't have a piece of title to it or whatever you go in there. And if you've got the television and you've got the connections and daddy, you know, he was, he was, he used that finesse. He was a pretty charming guy, I think. And he could go and uh, charm the television people, but he also had to tell to charm your politicians, and you know that it, 
especially in Louisiana, it could be, um, which I saw. I, I mean, you don't forget a name uh, that comes in there and you know that um, he's quite Italian and he's not a uh, wrestling statue, but you pay him part of the house to keep the show running in New Orleans. Um, and then you go out to dinner with him and you, you and you, you don't stop. And, and uh, I mean, it was definitely, it was definitely, um, I, I witnessed the family. <laughs> I was just a speck there because it was Watson, my dad. And um, interestingly enough, that happened um, around the same time if anybody knows about, and that was a good brainchild of both of the guys, um, was the Superdome. You know, they started those super shows. I was uh, for Dusty and Andre. I forget if they, uh, who they worked with, Ernie Ladd and uh, somebody, but yeah, those were big. Obviously, JYD and all of that stuff, but then, but I don't know. Did New you, Orleans. Yeah, let me throw this out there. So, but, but before Vince went national, what thoughts did your dad have? And then I'll shut up on Ole kind of going national with Georgia championship that, uh, I mean, you know, that that's blew up Ted Turner's network. That was his oh. thing. That was why he was always grateful from about 76 on TBS having Georgia championship with, you know, guys like Wahoo and all of the crew there. Well, his thought was the same that, you know, it, it, you've got to rethink this. Not only that, and this is where it hurt us too, is um, at the same time, you had three major networks. You had public television, which, you know, but you still had ABC, NBC, and CBS. You channels were coming in. So that opened up another opportunity. And when we lost our television contract, we pretty well knew it was gonna to be tough to um, <laughs> compete with New York, Atlanta, um, Watts took uh, over the, the television that my dad had had. So we were forced to say, hey, we're going to go and get on Channel 23, which is a, a U station. Well, not everybody gets to U stations at the beginning, you know, um, and they didn't. You had to have a special antenna. So I, we lost viewers. We lost. Plus the fact you're it, like he said, he goes, God, well, they, um, you know, my dad, um, he he, he, he could cuss like a sailor, and I still do. I'm, I'm, you know, hell, one dog was named Dammit, so, I mean. So. Is that the one that's asleep? Uh, on I think my mom's middle name. Is that the dog that's asleep on the treadmill right now? <laughs> no, uh, that's uh, Rhett. I don't have a, I have a, I don't have a Scarlet, but that's, that was Rhett, uh, my Pembroke Corgi. Yeah, Rhett, Riley, and then I have a, uh, Stella, and of course, Stella's from um, the play, you know, the movie. Stella! You're a good Let's company. Our name Desire. Elizabeth. Is that where you got the corgi thing from Queen Elizabeth? No, I, I just like that they've got the, uh, they've got the uh, little man attitude, you know, big man, short lay attitude. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of relate. Oh, <laughs> uh, geez. I want to jump ahead here because you guys have been talking television and such. Tendency to fall off the track now and then. I go hey. here and here and there, but it's just. Uh... Hey, hence the show name. But I'm actually curious to know, and I'm jumping ahead here. But from what I heard, you actually got the ring announcing gig, and also finding your voice and own style by sending tapes to Junior, or I mean Vince Junior, 
of some of your work on the house shows. Is that true? That's true. We didn't have a... This is Pat's debut. This is, he mentions Vince. This is Vince interviewing Pat for his debut for Vince Senior's TV around 77. Well, for this story, I'm certainly going to crack a beer. Oh, my gosh. Look at that hair, Pat. Oh, I still... These guys are, Hodge and Angle. You know, Danny, what a... if, if you didn't know Danny, I, I saw him on, you know, he was just the softest side, nicest, soft-spoken, um, always smiling, you know, <laughs> he just was, he was, yeah, God. He went with Boston, uh, Jerry Briscoe to the uh, AAUs, all the nationals, obviously they were usually in Oklahoma and stuff, but Danny was always at all those things. Yeah, he'd be, uh, you know, look, uh, my dad would take him and Danny would go over there to OU and coach against our team, coach uh, coach against OSU. And dad said, you son of a bitch, I brought you as a guest and you're over there coaching him. You know, he'd be right down there on the mat. And um, I mean, they, they, I never, I never saw a man cry as hard as Danny Hodge did at my dad's funeral. You know, my dad, my dad always doubted if anybody, you know, he said, I don't know if I made an impact on anybody. I don't know. You know, he'd always uh, was pretty hard on himself. Daddy was really hard on himself. Um, And, you know, he, he still says, you know, had it not been that he was so focused on Danny that, you know, there was Jack, Uh, you know, what a tremendous talent Jack Briscoe was. I can, you know, I remember, um, you know, when, when he came in and my mom and I and Karen, his first wife, we went out looking for houses. That's what you did with the family. You know, they were coming in and uh, training. And, and uh, I remember Jerry coming along later. But, um, you know, he, he always doubted that he had um, self-worth or, you know, was he rethinking this? And, you know, as you said about the television, can you imagine it, this all coming in at him and he's like how does that when i worked so hard and you you know work for your individual television and now this is coming in you know in an age that's even hard to understand just like the thing the videotape that you're talking about you know i i had gone to show to show to show and also um knowing vince never sees this you know night after night jack would call in the house what it was and i always found out later on i said so was that Vince? You know, who, who are you calling into? Or was it Pat? Probably one of the two. But um, I'd always tell Jack and I said, you know, Lanza, I said, be sure, tell him, you know, that you had me as the announcer. Because it, you know, I don't think at that point, I don't think he, you know, that wasn't part of it. But I was pushing to uh, let him know because I wanted more. I wanted more dates. I wanted to make more money. I wanted to take the ring. And so that happened on to give him an idea of not only what was I was doing, but my main focus was let Vince see what Hulk's doing in Wichita, Kansas. We didn't have video, but so we got in early. I'll obviously it was uh, putting, uh, had my ring crew, my uh, two guys that would put the ring up. And I got this idea of finding a, a videographer, a, a person that not just, cause we, you know, this is 1986. 780, yeah, 80, about 87, and then by 88, this about 86, really, because then he t- brought me down to uh, Houston. 
anyway, we were there and doing the show and the place was sold out. It was great. The vibe was good. Everybody was happy. It was going to be a good payoff. And it was like, God, it's a shame that Vince doesn't get to see this. Also, have a little bit of the announcer pan around the crowd so they can he can see the reaction and get the idea of what is what the show looks like. Um, I was doing it for somebody else, but also too, it wasn't with the forethought that he was going to hire me, but it also, you know, that he knew what the show looked like. So that's how that started. Um, that wasn't his idea right off the bat. Um, he he um, has to be Vince's idea. And if I wanted to work the house shows, it was left up to the um, agents that was on the road. And um, um, I think my hardest one was Tony Guerrero, which I like him now, but he always gave me a hard time. <laughs> you you saw like, him. Tell me. Oh, you saw him at Cauliflower Alley. The the first one you attended was our last one two years ago. And Gurria and his latest right. wife, who was a Mark, uh, very sweet lady, she he was there. Yes. So I don't know if you came in contact. I took pictures of you with Timmy White, obviously, I and I think even the uh, oh. the reclusive Jim Ross, and I think Autumn Ivia. I took a shot of you with her, her when she was standing next to you with Roddy Piper's widow, Kitty. Yeah, I, I like how you put Ross on there. You all know Ross's history, don't you? That was, you, you do. I, well, you I've know? combated him on, on saying S about your dad writing with him and your dad. I go, why are you always putting Leroy down? That's like so disrespectful. Yeah, so I've given it. Do you know he called me, he called me to his house. And um, and, I, I, and this was, you know, I, I, I've known Jim since I was young, but, um, you know, cause he used to take, daddy used to have him, you know, drive Dan, Danny on the road. And there was things that I, um, that I was told that I never knew before and really had no business of knowing that Ross felt uh, appropriate to tell me, which was just disheartening, but it had nothing to do with my dad directly. It was whatever was going on the road and whatever he wants to say. And, but I thought, you know, I don't need to hear this. And it, and I was in his house um, and his wife had passed away and I, with all due respect, I took it like a champ and, and, um, but I left there feeling so sick about uh, the way that I thought without saying yes, OB, you know, don't you realize who got your start? Yes. You have to have talent to go on, but how dare you, um, I, you know, whether, regardless of whatever feelings I may have. And by the way, I always have good, good feelings with with Vince um I you know I never um I just don't get to see him enough I'd always like to go up and hug him because um he was very good he was very good to me business wise you know he at the very beginning and um you know I wouldn't have had the chance how could I that's how I look at it regardless of what happened or uh, that um I'm not included in some of their events which I felt like at least I got made the yearbook I was there, um, but the, the thing is, is like, I've always wanted to feel a part of something and, and um, I had to fight for that position. I had to, um, uh, and there was no sex thing. You know, I went in it as, a, as I'm truly wearing a men's tuxedo. That was even back when that first video is rather baggy and long in the crotch. But, um, you know, it gets me upset that he, oh yeah, I still have it. Everybody asked me, they go, do you still have your tuxedos? And I said, yep. Now they're wanting to buy them. I just, and they go, I can't believe you won't sell it. And I go, well. You know, you were more stylish than Michael Buffer her, or his brother that <laughs> does the UFC. Uh, way more. Well, 
That's how well, I had it a little to work with, so I wanted to make the tuxedo okay. The hair, yeah. But um, I, you want to keep get into the, the hair. Let's let Jonathan ask you because I always thought Sherry has to be messing with her hair before she goes out there. So let's see, Jonathan, ask her about Sherry Martell doing hair. Okay, since you beat me to the punch there, Doctor Mike. Mike McGurk, uh, what about Sherry doing your hair? What is that? The story behind that story. Well, am I going to tell Sherry no? <laughs> she, <laughs> she wants to work on my... I'll drink it. I wasn't really. I wasn't really at the, in the position to. Um, uh, you know, I respected her very much. So, and um, she was like, "We're going to do your hair tonight." And I was like, "Oh, Sherry, really? That's that's okay." Um, and then again, too, it probably needed fixing because it, it stays just like this is straight. But back then, you know, you didn't, again, we go back and we had limited supply of all the different kind of hairsprays they have now, but this thing called final net. So anyway, she would final net it to where it almost looked like she was combing it like, you know, the promoter Don King, because it, I mean, there was some, there's some outrageous hair dude. And then she'd spray the thing and I'm like, oh, this looks great. Yeah. You know, and it, I, so I was her fodder for a long time, I'm sure. Was she go in the ring? Or I, I, I looked over there one time and um, they were in there and Dusty it was in the other side and Dusty couldn't keep a straight face because <laughs> Sherry went up and did her thing. I was like, oh my God, here she comes, here she comes. And I could see her, she was headed for my hair and she just messed it all up and you know, it fell because I probably, I think I had it up. It fell and then just, it was, it was nasty. It was bad. Those are the Dynasty Dallas big hair days though. That's right, you know, yeah, yeah, and uh, and two, you know, I uh, hot rollers and and then those lights when you have television, they're unlike anything that you, you know. They're not just regular house lights. You've got production lights on, and not the best air conditioning a lot of times in the early days, and um, uh, you'd sweat it. And the hair was definitely it. It was the first to go, so. Um, uh, Did you guys have uh, hair and makeup teams like backstage when I've gone? This was in the 90s, from about 92 on. Uh, there was, you know, a whole area where there would be chairs and, you, you know, particularly the female performers would have the hair and makeup like Joni Lauer or, you know, any of them uh, back then. You know, or was well, it? Well, at the very or, beginning, television, it was limited. Um, but they had, they were, they didn't have any sewing people. They didn't have the sewing ladies yet. Mm. Um, so we, they would hire, everything was uh, a la carte. Everything that he would rent the local lighting because Vincent, this was all new. You know, I was still hauling the ring, hauling, sorry. There's that old slander, hauling the ring, um, hauling the ring. And he decided that he didn't want his ring announcer to be, hauling the ring. And by this time he had built up some rings. So anyway, um, yeah, at the beginning was limited to like one makeup lady. So everywhere we went, it was something different and you could look really good or you could look really bad. Mm. Or the one time that this one light, she was, I know, <laughs> I, maybe it was just me, but she, I sat in her chair and she had, she, she was eating barbecue ribs. And somewhere down in Florida, I swear to God, and it was like, like she was just a minute. She puts her fingers in her mouth and what? <laughs> and she's going over there to get on my face and do makeup. I was, I, I, I'm out. I was, I was like, I'm done. 
So I did my own, um, I, for whatever it was, I did my own makeup from about mm, 80, 89 on, I, I did it. Um, it probably well, shows because I was shiny, <laughs> but a lot of the stuff that I didn't know, um, and I didn't feel that I deserved that. You know, if, if it was, um, that was for the stars, that was for the wrestling people. You know, I was, I was just, um, I was just an announcer. I, you know, I never, I think that was a lot of it that the only credit I would ever give myself was only was my, was my dad. And that if you wanted to be a part of it and the opportunity was there, did I have a foresight? Like I was, you know, I had a mission to um, cram women down. Um, but I also think it gave me uh, people telling me, no, no, no. Um, this is the way it'll always be. This is the way it's going to be. And you can't have anything to do with it. And that opportunity presented by the way of providing a wrestling ring and just inch by inch. Cause I started out I'm like, Hey, I can make extra money by uh, running the jackets. Cause I knew, you know, that's what we did. That's what, you know, so I looked at it from the promoter side, from the promotion side. So when these guys came in, Pat or any of the agents, they don't want to come in and have to start working. They want it all taken care of for them. You know, they was, they're tired, they're on the road and tell me that you've got everything handled. So I don't have to go outsource it. So, you know, that was another thing that uh, uh, is an advantage of just learning and doing when you tell when you're told you can't or a woman in this business and you know that it was it it was uh it was i but i wasn't a woman in this business and in the fact that i wasn't getting my brains knocked out or hurting my body in the in the ring but i was still had a, a piece of it that just was second nature to me does that make sense jonathan when i'm talking that it does from everything that i did um and and up to events and during was because I was always Lear McGurk's daughter and I was, and there was a respectability that you better have um, and earn um, just not by being, that was the foot, that was, that was what opened a lot or a lot of times it worked not so good for me. You know, um, you know, the people, the men, the men of the business that didn't want to see the changes or, think no matter who you are you don't have any business being in here and what do you know and because uh, you haven't taken a bump and I was like wow well um gosh I didn't know that was the requirement so it wasn't but old school you know that it was it was very very closed and um I wasn't gonna sell any secrets for any for God's sake I grew up defending it um and still do especially what was full circle was being in Tulsa, my hometown and getting to introduce daddy. You know, I had a nice, really cool introduction. I was good as yours, Jonathan, but um, just kind of a buildup uh, before the show started. And I would ask Jack and they were very good about that. The promoters, you know, I, I never got a pushback. Um, and um, because I wanted the fans to know that daddy was there. And so they would, you know, know that he was in the crowd or, and uh, later on, you like this, Mike, because he would always be, again, I told you, you know, he never thought he was worthy or he never was a, a boastful guy. He was a shy, boastful guy, but he'd say, next time you do that, send those fans up there to me, give me a warning, because you know, they wouldn't leave him alone. And he, he, wasn't, he wasn't so prepared, but that also told me he enjoyed the heck out of it. So, yeah, yeah, like, oh, couldn't keep, couldn't bat him off, could you, Dad? So, 
That was me. Um, you know, he, and another thing that he found, you know, he, he pond, I could see him ponder it. He said, so you're announcing, you know, you could see him thinking about trying to get a visual of, uh, you know, and, and maintain and, you know, don't be stupid and, uh, you know, hold yourself, hold yourself upright because, uh, it's, uh, it, nobody owes you anything. And, uh, you, you make your own way. If you love it, there'll be, that'll happen. And, but again, there, uh, dying is respectability. And I respected everyone that was, a, uh, that had any, that wrote, took uh, pictures, the uh, big owl, all of them, you know, uh, these were names that I grew up with. That, uh, a little owl, Babasier. It was big owl, yeah. He <laughs> was the king of your dad's, uh, uh, because they had those curtains there. They were like late, there was curtains and there was a very distinctive background. You always knew when yeah. uh, photos were coming from a Leroy McGurk uh, area. Or but the Ross out. deal was um, the first time that uh, I, I remember a spot show that he was running. And I didn't bring that up, but I'll bring it up now. Is uh, my dad said, why don't you go on, go around down there um, in Salem Springs, the Fayetteville area, which is, a whole uh, very booming now in the university but at that time it was in a uh, cattle arena on top of sawdust they had a wrestling ring there um he had, i think he'd even he had somebody haul it there but that he was running a show for my dad in fayetteville and um the boys had to go to the a motel a close by motel you know to change because there was not any facilities it's open air but you have a you have a roof over it um, and he was in overalls and he was a big old fat kid, but um, he was from Westville, Oklahoma. And somehow my mom, he got the, he got my mom and his grandmother were related. And that was how that came about. Not only was he a, uh, he, a fan of it, but um, he researched it enough to where, um, yeah, my mom, and his grandmother, somehow my mom's family and his grandmother, they were somehow linked. Mm -hmm. Don't know, I haven't traced that genealogy around, but that that helped uh, Jim. And then, um, you know, that's the thing that, you know, I don't wanna focus on it, but you know, this is for anybody that's listening and all of us here too is a constant reminder is, you know, we are, we have our past and, and whatever has brought us to that point is embrace it because that's what brought us to the point. And, and the people that did that to you and, and thank you along the way. Um, and you, you don't see that so much, the loyalty and, um, and, but, you know, I hear, I hear that as far as, um, you know, I'll, I'll hear read sports stories of how a man's heart of, of just, a gratuity and somebody that recognized him along the way. And daddy was like that, you know, he, I don't, I don't think he really knew the impact that he, that he did. And um, he reminded me of it, but uh, he himself um, was, and it was, it was tough uh, because the pressure was on him to always succeed um, and have the, the right guys around him that's been brought up um you know there's been books written and people have to say things um that has been asked of me of podcasts before and um and you know um had was dad doing this was he gonna shoot a wrestler was he gonna you know i hear all of that 
you know, um, my dad would never kill anybody. I don't. He, that, was he was Sharkey, that was Eddie Sharkey in Vern Gagne's office that did the shot. <laughs> well, they came up with it about. Um, uh, Ross had a, a, a kind of a long tale about that story, and um, so I don't. You know, I there was two people in that car. My dad's not here to um, counteract it. Um, Jim did say to me once after I had not. I hadn't seen him since after the book that he asked, I had gone backstage. I had contacted, we'd gone to St. Louis and I had my son with me and he had a friend. And so um, I contact, I still had Shane's number back then. Oh, Shane O'Mac, um, Vince's son, Shane. And he was like, Oh my God. Yeah. Come back here. So I went back behind the trucks and I wanted to really show my kid off and, and show that. And it was Ross that came up and he was like, looked at me. He goes, you here with your attorney? Uh, <laughs> like, uh, <no. laughs> Yeah. <laughs> are you guilty <laughs> you have to do a book mike if you've not haven't you been hit up to do a book and where you could talk about being a pioneer breaking the glass ceiling all of those things i and haven't i i would love to focus on on what we talk about is you know how did this happen or and, and my dad's there's my dad's story there i mean um how incredible is it that it is to me that you don't, he never, he didn't, somebody gets mad and goes, oh, don't tell me he was a blind man and he didn't see handicap. And I said, well, he really didn't, you know, it, uh, if anything, it was more of a motivation to overcome or to conquer. Um, he had done so much anyways that hell he'd fought all of his life when he was a little poor kid because he had three older sisters and it was their mom that was raising him. And back in the poor days of, you know, uh, before you get into the depression area, it was pretty depressed and simple and a single mom in the twenties bringing up four kids. Um, cause there was a younger sister, uh, uh, after my dad. So he got the hand-me-down clothes. He was, I used to go to school and that's where he got a nickname Buster. A lot of older friends of my dad would come up to me and, and would his, and I'd think why? And I'd ask my mom, they were calling him bus but it was short for Buster. He also was on the police force, Mike, because during the war, they would not take him because of his one eye. So ended up, you know, you could, to service your country, um, you could be in a service position. So he did start out with the Tulsa Police Department and then went on and um, how he developed his love for um, the lakes around Oklahoma, especially Grand Lake. He had a place, um, heck, he had a, uh, what would be worth, well, they don't, they can't even sell it. What he had now was, is a huge lot, a huge acre of lakefront crossing the dam, but who knew? Um, but anyway, I, you know, he, uh, he was late patrol and fell in love with that job. And then after the war was over, then that's when he went on, he goes, I'm going to buy me a place, you know? And so it, during his work, that's where the lake, but yeah, those were different um, things that he did that he couldn't, because he couldn't serve the country. And then like you were talking earlier about Silento Rodriguez. Um, God, it, and if anybody can understand, here we are so fortunate. We have our eyes, we have our, we have our health, we have our hearing, we're able to talk. And to see a communication between a blind man and, and, and Silento and, and the heart that my dad had for those, for, because of, my, of, of his heart, 
uh, both of those human beings coming and and wrestling and how, how you know just I, and there was great men that uh, and I know that that had this business you know before Vince and whatever you know and and it's not just Vince's Vince's rolled with it um, you know I mean I remember Dad going what's that noise we didn't have music coming out with the wrestlers. You didn't have that, you know, that um, uh, dad would always talk about, you know, who had the fancy robes or, you know, that was the beginning of otherwise you were a jock, you know, you were an, you know, you didn't have all the um, gorgeous did, you know, remember that's, you know, he would, and dad had, he had liked gorgeous. Music, gorgeous George had the first entrance music, pomp and circumstance, savagely tribute to him. And then Buddy Rogers for a short time played Nat King Cole's Nature Boy when he yeah. came out of the ring with Moolah as his manager, his valet. Yeah. It's like 49, 1949 is Dutch Roads. And, you know, Dad talked about the California territory and how he, how he loved it and how, um, you know, it was, a whole, it was totally different of what was going on out there and then to, then to sell it and, and, it did. It translated all the way of what you guys were doing and what wrestling as a whole was doing back in the day. Um, gosh, I was reading a story somebody put on there and it was, and God, I've heard this name. Of course, it was Karl Gotch and um, the German. Um, oh, was it the, oh, the Russian? What was it? It was a, God, 1910 match. Um, oh. Frank Gotch and Stanislav Sabisco. That's it. I guys, you can say that name. What? Oh, man. I just and Jonathan. Now, see, and here I'm a student of it just as you're sitting. So we're all flies on the on the on that virtual wall going, wow. And that's how I look at it is I'd heard those names. And, and you were in my dad's office uh, and where he had all those old wrestlers. Do you remember those that was all around? the? Uh, yeah, I had those. And, you know, and to see those those names didn't used to mean anything. And they do now brother um do you go to the um the thing that they have in waterloo do you do that i've been a couple of times that's the because the upstate new york thing that then went down to johnny mantel in fort worth the pro wrestling hall of fame that really doesn't have the clout of the uh, the iowa one that mike chapman who was a an mma guy who was really close to hodge and thez he started the thez tragus thing and then he was kicked out by his own board, but that's the, the one you're talking about. That's the most prestigious thing. Cause I know you were, I don't know if they postponed it to later this year, you were going to go in last year for uh, the new England wrestling hall of fame. And I was going to ask really ask you when we get done, I'll probably text Bruce Pritchard and Ben Brown at WWE and ask is Mike McGurk in your hall of fame? And if not, why? Uh, would you go? <laughs> don't be surprised if they go, especially Bruce. Bruce might make go get this, Jonathan. Who? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I don't that was know. the best part um, of your career that I enjoyed, at least for Vince, was when you do commentary, not just with uh, Pete Doherty, but particularly Pritchard, because he grew up on Paul Bosch wrestling with Tom, and right. they they are huge historians there on on Bosch's legacy, and they probably know a little of Morris Siegel prior to him. Uh, you know, because he put the bond on Pepper Gomez. He wanted Pepper Gomez as NWA champ. Morris Siegel did. It didn't work out. But uh, I lived three blocks from Pepper Gomez. And, wow. you know, hear all the, you know, the stuff, the Dallas stuff, the Bruiser stuff in Indianapolis, et cetera. But 
did they postpone that or have you already been uh, put into the New England Hall? No, it, uh, COVID took it and I haven't heard. Um, the one contact I had was uh, Joseph Bruin um, and I don't know where it lies unless it's, you know, if it comes in, I'd heard August, but we're kind of getting close. If it's going to be, I haven't, I haven't. But why did, why did you ask me about the Iowa? Are you going or have you been to the uh, the new? I've never been. And um, I, boy, Briscoe put the pressure on me because he said you should go. And, you know, I'm, I should. Why didn't I go before my dad was inducted? Oh, I think it was uh, his plaques back here. 2004. Would you know? I think so. Wait a minute. Um, yeah. I'm thinking, um, my, yes, because it was the year before my mom died. So um, there, a friend of mine had an accident. Um, anyway, it was, it, was, it was like what's happened to the interviews here. I mean, things started going, oh, my gosh, that had an accident. This happened, this happened. And my mom said, hey, you know what? We're not going to go to Waterloo. You need to get on the road. They're coming through. Their son had just been, you know, he, she was driving from Minneapolis. Let me just set this up. Driving straight through from Minneapolis to Houston all the way knowing that her son was hanging on to life. They'd been hit. And so she needed somebody to help her. She was, by the time she got to Oklahoma, she'd been up many hours. And I said, I'll, I'll either front dog or back dog. And I said, I'll be behind you. So that's what I did is if anything happened so that she could get to Houston, they had an emergency um, uh, where they were something, I know they airlines do this for you with a death holding so she could get on as soon as she got in there she dropped off we went dropped her at the uh, air at the airport in houston and away she went i did that and i didn't go so that was 2004 my mom passed away uh, and was not doing real well in 05 and you know i still took me three or four years and i just lost touch we weren't doing you know i wasn't wasn't doing any interviews. Not anybody was really reaching out. And I kind of waned around the wrestling. Didn't really even was asked about the CAC. Didn't know. I remember Red Bastine talking about it. It was like, Mike, you know, this is what you need to do. And you need to go there on, on behalf of your dad. And, um, and I, you know, back then, it, some of the guys would, you know, I'd mention it and they'd go, oh, man, that's when you're old and it has been. You don't want to go. I, was like, I never was. Uh, I Flair, have, I'm not even Flair, a husband. Yeah, Flair spread that thing. No, because we used to get all kinds of young guys, Samoa Joe. It's, it's a mix. You know, we've lost so many of the old time legends, sadly, the territory people. So you're one of the few links. Um, and to go there that first time. Uh, in 2015, I, I, it was like a reunion that, you know, I've been going to forever or it just time had not passed. And it was just everywhere I looked, it was tears, just of joy, just of Jonathan. I mean, these are people that, you know, that were still alive then. And we've lost a lot that knew my dad and really like Dr. Mike, but I mean this, you know, a lot, a lot of them. God, was a, a nice, God, a Charlie Smith, somebody had said, he goes, I saw your dad wrestle. And I was like, oh, you, you know, you just want to hold on. I never, you know, I wasn't born. I never saw daddy wrestle. And to have seen that, or I've never even seen a tape of it. You see a picture of a still, but that's nothing of watching. From what I hear, it was pretty good in the ring. 
because he, he was pretty quick even at home because if he'd stand still and he was having one of his uh, nightly, you know, he could, he could go off in an instant and, uh, and he, I mean, he could pounce. I mean, that wrestling quickness, because he'd stand there and he, if he was thinking about something you just said, you don't know if he was going to jump at you or cuss at you or just sit there. Yet I don't, because I've seen him jump and he's quick. He was quick. Um, yeah. I, you know, just the things that I wonder how he, he did uh, amazes me because he could size you up. You know, I tell that to people. And he, he taught me about earlier when you asked about how did I get this voice or how did I do that? Was there any training? No, just mainly listen again, listening. You, you must have met Boyd Pierce. You had to cross paths with Boyd Pierce, who announced oh, yeah. all those colorful jackets. Oh, yeah. Okay. He was... He was and see, I wanted to a, a little bit, you take a little bit from everybody, even Howard, you know, people want to know that. And I'm not, um, Howard was great at what he did. Um, and in, in his area and, you know, to have me come up there, it would be the same thing as, you know, if some, I, I, I try to put myself in his position. So um, it'd be the same thing, except he couldn't wear a skirt. And I'd said that I'd say, Howard would be all right. Well, there was that one time I saw him wearing that skirt. Who are you and what are you doing here? And I wasn't taking away from him, which, you know, uh, at the first I was doing some of his show, um, you know, Vince was putting me there, but he he needed Howard and Howard was good at what he did. But then they had this other show. So, um, you know, everything I took was a little bit of something as I told Mike from announcers when I was growing up. Um, I wanted, I wanted it to be, I wanted just like somebody, you know, it, like if, so, if Elvis has left the building, I want it to be Elvis is in the building, you know, the buildup because of the show that was behind me. And I, that's where I, you know, came up with um, a little bit of that is just, as Vince said, he, he said this one thing to me when we were interviewing and he's like, you ever wanted to be listened to? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he goes, there's a chance. So, uh, you know, you don't realize, uh, you know, I, I didn't realize I could probably got away with a few things on the mic, but you, you be professional. And that was the thing. Again, it all comes back to what I was telling Mike about all in my mind is um, the good Lord definitely uh, paved my way there, but my dad and just the respectability of how he thought about the show. And if you don't, show respect, how are you going to get it? Um, and that's where I felt um, in the show. And when it became, you know, um, I'm glad that I'm not a part of it because I would have, uh, you know, I didn't have to sell anything with part of my body. Um, I dressed accordingly and it wanted to, I wanted to be focused on my work, not, um, you know, what I, what, and nothing against the ladies of today. That's what sells. I get it. But I'm proud of the fact that um, I, you know, I didn't, I kept my morals that Addie would done, you know, I was good at that. So, um, and still made it. Huh? Well, before I forget, two guys that started in your dad's territory, to my knowledge, uh, which is a pretty big deal, uh, Paul Ellering at first, and then your dad had paired him up with somebody. I don't know if that was his legit brother, but Paul Ellering would come out. He was wearing like a Roman God outfit, if you remember that. Precious Paul Ellering. And this is in the 70s, around 76, but also uh, Paul Orndorff 
And uh, he was also paired with somebody. I'm not sure if Paul, that was a brother, Terry Orndorff, if they were. Yes, legit. yeah, Terry and Paul. But, but yeah. you know, I got to see Paul um, for the first time. And I don't know if we didn't get the chance to say, um, and I don't know if it resonated, the McGurk name, because I did introduce myself to him. Um, it was at Joe's funeral, uh, Animal Legion of Doom. Oh, yeah. Now he, he's a little uh, forgetful now, shall we say. He's... Paul, Paul, Paul is he? Yeah. Well, Terry and Dory the same way now. Yeah. Who is? Terry and Dory, they, you know, they veer in and out, lose their short term memory at times. And, uh, but, but especially Paul Orndorff, he, uh, that's been well known for the last couple of years, sadly. Yeah. I, it, I don't know if you saw something that, uh, well, in fact, uh, it was sent to me. And it was a, why I, I would not be happy with my kids if they did this, but it showed a short clip of him, I guess, in, in, in a home. And uh, have you seen it, Jonathan? I did, unfortunately. Yeah. Who does that? This is Orndorff, really? Yes. Dr. Mike, I'll probably send you the clip. Wow. Mike, it's not good. It's just, you know, and then he had to go and, you know, say something, he mentioned Jonathan, and he was like, you remember wrestling? And I'm like, God, man, what an idiot. And you're just eating that whole pack of pepper. And it just, oh, you talk about cruel and hit your hand. Yeah, your own kid. But I'd, uh, I'd heard that even they had, uh, uh, Brian had told me this, that the kids, and Rhonda weren't treating Paul well at all. And it just it was a terrible, terrible situation. That's not good. And no. then to see that just pulls it all in and to throw it out like that is, man, it, you know, look at how, what Paul, you know, you look at those pictures and we all are different versions of ourselves. As you get older, Jonathan, we do. But, you know, you don't want you don't you don't you don't go out and you embarrass. And not the video I saw. As, yeah. Uh. Uh-uh. No, it's not. It's not kind. Well, so, yeah. Have you, you know, forgiven me? That's what I want to know. I just want to make sure that um, you've that um, this interview is going as as uh, well as you hoped. Yes, um, and uh, we can have you back for part two, definitely, because I want to get more into your father. But I want to wrap with this for right now. And uh, well, there's two things here I want to bring up. First, a little while ago, you mentioned about people wanting to buy the tuxedos. I'm not interested in the tuxedos. I'm interested in that WWF sign hanging on the wall there. <laughs> if it becomes for sale. I but, got you. But second of all, and I want to reiterate what Dr. Mike had mentioned a couple of times during this conversation. And that being that you were truly a trailblazer for women. Cause, and we didn't even get into this. But yes, you've done the ring announcing. You did some commentary. I think we might have mentioned a little bit of that uh, with Gorilla Monsoon and stuff like that. And but, Bruce. Yeah. It's, I so appreciate that when people, people mention obviously Miss Elizabeth and several women from the past, but I would truly appreciate more folks bringing your name up as part of this women's evolution, if that makes sense. Because you were a major part of that history. Well, I, it, I, Mike, can you stand in for me on that? I, I didn't. Uh, I, 
I didn't know um, that I would be doing that, but my whole mindset too is this, that um, we had a right. I wasn't a women's lever, maybe I was and didn't know it, but you know, I also had everything to do with my upbringing um, as that, you know, I could never nor would I ever achieve the accolades that my father did in in all different aspects from everything he was just a he was a good he was a he was a he was my hero and um i think a lot of other people that would look at him to um to never give up but um i didn't i think that was the part of it is that drive of you know if i can't um be in it obviously being married I tried that and that was, you know, I knew too much. It was hard for me to be a stay at home wife when you know what's happening on the road. Plus I yearned to be on the road and I wanted to be up in it. You know, I wanted to get up in it. That's just like uh, how it, my dad. So I think that was the part of where you say, I, I appreciate you being so kind or saying that word. Um, but yeah, I think had I not knocked on, um, those doors down and not be, you know, I never, I, I didn't know what diva was. I was grateful to be, and Mike knows this, that I didn't make any waves. If you made waves, you might not be there. So I didn't ask for much. And then, you know, even for them to even suggest earlier, as Mike, as Mike said, and we reverted to, to the makeup person, heck, I didn't even think, you know, that, um, and that's my thinking, right? I didn't even think that I was included or to be included for makeup. That was for the guys. They're the ones that were putting their bodies out there on the line. And, and you know, I'm a fan. And uh, I want to go back to the Elvis thing. It's like every time that I say it over and over that it made me understand better is my dad would say, well, you know how, how you know, he had a term for it is, you know how stupid you are <laughs> over that Elvis Presley. I was like, yeah, that singer. And I goes, yeah, but dad, you know, he's, he's a triple threat. You know, he, you know, he just not only sang, but he, he danced and he, the actor and, you know, he, um, he just he, he never be defined and, and just to go out and do however your heart beats and however you feel about that guy. And, you know, you, you're a fan. So do those, as I said earlier, so does the wrestling fans. And I respected the wrestling fans even more so uh, because, you know, you used to think, oh man, um, they bought into it or they don't, they know I bought into it. I would, you know, when Dirty Dick Murdoch would come out there and there'd be Killer Carl Cox, I'm telling you, I could look up in the stands and they didn't have fake heart attacks. Mike, you know that there'd be these old, the old fans that would come yeah. out. And I mean, <laughs> they'd be hauling them off. They'd have a heart attack. You know, they'd be back the next week or the lady that was about to pop, she'd be back the next week, you know, with the new child in tow. But, you know, I have all those stories and the, and the thing about like, like the trailblazer, I, it, it all led up to wanting to be a part of it so bad that however that opening came through, it took a lot of people. It took, like I said, selling vents on it. You, you know, submit a videotape and, um, and, and then the connection with, when you talk to Bruce, because I don't know, I God, I don't know if this is on whatever we're saying, but I hope that there's still a friendship there because I have nothing but good things to say about Bruce. 
when my dad passed away, there had been a plan for me to come up and, and live in in Connecticut. And Vince put that on hold and uh, was so gracious about it because he not only that, I wanted to get on the road. I was like, no, I can be close to daddy. He he paid for me to be off six weeks, just like he did when I hurt my back. But he said, no, you need to stay home, stay with your family. And uh, then when he put me back on the road, it, uh, it was one of the first people I saw was Heenan and he welcomed me back. And he and they just, you knew, they didn't have to say anything. The ones that knew about my dad, but Bruce was always in my corner, I feel, because of the the Paul Bosch and because Vince said, well, let's try her out as the commentating. I wasn't ring announcing in Houston. I was doing the commentating. So mm. uh, yeah, I was a whole different spin. And I'm uh, and see, Mike, I wasn't... Uh, it wasn't, I think they put me in a platform where I didn't like that direction was going and I didn't have that say so, but I think it was portrayed that Vince saw it. It was like Duke, a daughter was doing the woman bashing and it became, we were not focused on the match. It became more of defending myself to him. And that wasn't, you know, but anyway, I didn't, uh, I, I, that, that credibility was losing pretty quick and I wasn't going to, you know, I felt that that was not the way it should, right. I should, I should go. Um, and either I'm going to help uh, call a match or help color or whatever I could, but we just couldn't quite get that right. And then when we had that, that um, I didn't move to Connecticut instead, I just Vince continued to fly me out of Tulsa. And I hope that wasn't a letdown for uh, Bruce because Bruce had, it was putting a, putting his crew together and he was starting the new television station. It was Vince's, but he was heading it. Mean Gene was on board. Sean hadn't come uh, along yet. We still had Lord Alfred. So I was going to still have longevity by being um, in the production part and production assistant. And then when we were on television, then I had the announce so I could, you know, uh, metamorphosize either into the to back into um, being an announcer or then back down into production but I would there was longevity in the job so and that kind of fell apart I hope that wasn't it but I never had any I think except I enjoyed the heck out of Bruce Pritchard he he uh, Dr. Tom was totally different and my <laughs> dad I'm not trained I'm sorry my dad yeah my dad my son and uh, he was down there when uh, Max was at um, the developmental. And so he got uh, to know Dr. Tom more than he ever met uh, Bruce. So we kind of shared notes, but yeah, I like, like the Pritchard. But to wrap for me. Yes. Oh, yes. And I know Dr. Mike Pye has something here to what I've said before we got into that answer. I've had a couple of beverages here, adult beverages, which is fine. You're 21, aren't you? 36, unfortunately. But I want to say this one here is not only to the respect of the history of your father, but I also want to, as I said there, to the respect that you have, Mike, and so much more respect that you deserve. Because I know Dr. Mike mentioned about possibly WWE Hall of Fame and a couple other Hall of Fames like New England and Waterloo and all. You were truly a trailblazer. And I appreciate everything I've learned from this conversation. So cheers to Mike. Hey. Cheers. Thank you, Mike. Let's say I'm clapping for you guys. Well, thank you. Thank Dr. You. Mike. Oh, 
I'm going to make that a personal chore to nag those guys back there. Uh, anybody that's watched the A&E Treasure Show, they know who Ben Brown is. So I'll be uh, bugging him, probably actually just calling him up tomorrow about this. Why isn't she in the Hall of Fame? So if that's something that's okay, that's cool with you, Mike, I will uh, push that. If that's not, I don't know what, but I'm surprised that you're not in the Hall of Fame. That's like criminal. Yes. She deserves that respect. Well, you'd think that I I am. I don't know. I, <laughs> I'm not sure. Now, Howard. But you would Howard know always... you'd have the ring. You'd have the, the, the ring. Which <laughs> have. Even though there's no physical Hall of Fame. So that's the thing about Iowa. It's a physical Hall of Fame, the Thes Tragus Museum. So it's number one. It's a real physical Hall of Fame. I don't know if they're ever, probably not in my lifetime, because I'm getting up near 70, uh, if they're ever going to have a WWE physical Hall of Fame for the Marks. They trudge the stuff out at, you know, their fan fest access things at pay-per-views like Mania and SummerSlam. But uh, Iowa right now is is the place. So Jerry Briscoe's been in, in nagging you about that place. So would you suggest then, because he's really said it's here um, in two weeks. And um, so I, not, not everybody goes to Waterloo, America. So I think it's probably, heck, it's an old road trip. I think it's right about 500, something like that miles. So I can, I can do that because it's Kansas City and then Des Moines and then head, I guess, head to the middle of Des Moines and go to Waterloo. So it's something that we were talking about earlier that um, – I need to be there. I never, I, I think it was Brian Blair that my, I don't know. He did another speech for my dad, but he, somebody did this, the acceptance speech could have been Dan. I don't know, but I'd, I'd like to go and um, not knowing what to expect. So you suggest to go, Mike? Yeah, I would go. Cause it's, you know, unlike CAC, which is like just people getting together, but we've lost so many, you know, legends, Maurice Feshan and all these guys that, you know, we're regulars all the time. Uh, Gene and Steve Stanley from the 50s and Buddy Rogers and Bobby Davis, all names I'm sure you know. But uh, Waterloo is, is you know, the place. So if not this year, you know, I don't know what's going on with COVID. Definitely next year. And hopefully you'll be inducted into the New England one, which is a good one. It's not physical. So Waterloo's the best, in my opinion, of all the physicals. It has the most ethical <laughs> reputation and everything. Well, um, just to get to see, you know, even the Hall of Fame, the museum and all the greats in it, but um, uh, also if Jerry asked, because I know it took, I don't, if it was Jerry and, you know, it, it takes a few to get votes to be inducted into that one. I knew daddy was already in the one at um, Stillwater, OSU, but to be up there was pretty prestigious because that is, you know, that's. It's really cool. So I, I think just to go up there, not knowing anything or just uh, the guy, they've been very, very gracious and said, here, you know, I'm going to buy a ticket and be a part of the banquet. And just so I'm kind of like I was with CAC, just kind of wandering around. So it'll be fun. It'll be great. If you go shave off those uh, mutton chop sideburns at Jerry's, will you? Oh, God. Oh, the, the wild man. Yeah, please, <laughs> please shave those off. Oh, I I I want to I know <laughs> knowing him before and never imagining seeing that but uh, yeah I just want to I want to I'm going to pull him that's what I'm going to do is first thing is go grab him you know if he didn't have him he wouldn't get him pulled so 
Those are his Don Leo Jonathan. That's what I told him when I saw him. I said, you look like Don Leo Jonathan, you know, but not as good looking. Well, how, are you going to be at Safe Sea? Any, Jonathan, no, do you go? The COVID thing is this new Delta variant. I'm, I'm one of those because, you know, because of my dental background and medical stuff. I just, I know I'm out there. I, I just, you know, I, I'm putting off that kind of stuff. One other one that you got to go to, though, that is so much fun. And I would go maybe not now with COVID still around, but when it's gone, Gulf Coast Reunion. If you've never been to that, the Fields family thing in uh, Mobile, you have oh, to. That's so was... fun. They don't let any fans there. It's just for people, you know, luckily it was a photographer. But, and I took some bumps, but they, it's just for the boys <laughs> and it's just the party. And uh, a lot of people you knew. Carl Cox used to go to those things. There were a lot of guys... Danny Miller that had worked for your dad, or the Miller, famous Miller brothers. That's that's one. Actually, that's my favorite of all of them. All of them. And I've been to all of them. The Texas shootouts at Bastine and Carol did in Fort Worth. The thing up in uh, upstate New York, uh, the Elio DiPaolo deals. But the, the Gulf Coast reunion is the absolute most fun. Everybody lets their hair down. There's no pressure to wear a suit and tie or any of that BS. Well, you know, when... Uh... Brother Paul, uh, oh, you know, Percy, but I, uh, he was always Paul to me. Um, and he would say, Oh, you need to come down here to God's country. And he invited me to, to oh, no, he was the big, he was the big guy there, uh, along with Bill Bowman. But uh, Bill Moody, Percy Paul, there, uh, would lead the uh, karaoke and the singing competition. There were talent things where they'd get William like, Moody. <laughs> they would get the uh, potato, the golden potato award, and they had like a crowbar award. Uh, it was just a lot of fun, casual stuff. Oh. And Michael Hayes, Michael Hayes would just come in for the free food, and he would take off. He would never stay for any of the activities, so we'd give him shit for that. We're just coming to chow down and split. Yeah. Occasionally with Terry Gordy we, before we lost him. So the food must be good. I've the heard that that's good. what it's a big time buffet. Yeah. Yeah. See how fun that, that, you know, COVID's changed everything. So yeah, um, yeah, I'm not going to be, and I've been CAC's board photographer since 1987. This is the first one I'm missing. Um, just, you know, cause I've had rheumatoid arthritis. So I really can't risk it. Even though I'm vaccinated, uh, you don't, you don't achieve, close to the 90%. So I just don't want to risk it. Even, even with the vaccine. Yeah. I'm taking care of a, a, my wife's mom is 94 and you know, I, we, I just don't want to potentially be a carrier to her and hurt her. Well, you know, to, to your question, Mike, uh, cause you mentioned me there. Uh, um, Dr. Mike has always mentioned the CD CAC. But a couple of people I know have mentioned, hey, you got to come out. So I'm hoping to attend one. They're fun. They're, they, Dr. Michael will tell you that, but it, it's also turning around. And, and um, you know, it's, it's like he said, it's where you gather and um, people that you haven't seen. And you see those faces and, um, and shoot the stories. And then, the, you know, Mike knows. Um, if they get up there, be prepared because that's one of the longest nights you'll ever have. Uh, no, you were there when David Schultz went off on Vince. He went through like an yeah. hour and 20. 
It was the worst. I told Sue Aitchison and all the rest of the WWE people that they always get the four front tables. But I told Sue, who you probably knew from then, you know, she was one of Vince's right hand people uh, in Stanford. Who invited him to, to come? Because even in his daytime lecture, he gave a daytime panel and he trashed Vince the whole time. And then he's doing it up at his acceptance speech, which made no sense. But the actual winner, I hate to say it, was about 15 years ago. Bob Geigel, for his, went almost two hours and said no. we're leaving because he wasn't really talking history. He was, I don't know, going off on stuff. Uh, that was probably the, the longest. He didn't attack anybody, though, the way Schultz did. Oh, my God. I was back at the door. So um, a lot of times uh, people go out, Jonathan, they do all the time. You got to, you know, when you get a table with that and alcohol and whatever, but they're going in and out. And maybe this, maybe the speech might go too long. I don't know, but whatever. That door would lock. And I go, well, you know, this is a pretty good place to be. Um, I'm getting handed a beer or two just by watching the door. And um, not only that, I can leave if I wanted to and not be conspicuous because they could go on and on and you could come back and they'd still, still be in it. But this particular time, you're right. And I was sitting there. I thought, I'm going to sit by this door because it's going to be bashing open or something. Or somebody's going to leave because I mean, he, he, I don't like, he, you know, he was going off and all this, you know, it started out pretty nice. Then it was, uh, yeah, you know, F, F you this and okay. you piece of shit that. And I'm like, yeah, all right. Uh, <laughs> all we, right. we have you back, which I hope Jonathan will do yeah. as the boss. I got to tell you the stories about the Bruce Hart going off on an hour and a half. He was there uh, after Owen passed and he was accepting for Stu, but he went off on Vince for that. And then the following year, I don't know why they allowed him back as Carl Lauer made such a scene about it, he was supposed to accept on behalf of Rhonda Singh, Bertha Faye, uh, that her, was her character for Vince. Uh, but he went off again for like an hour and a half before <laughs> they got the book out. Then, then they banned Bruce Hart, Stu's son, Red's brother for life from going to see. So now only Ross goes. I know I have a photo of you with Ross Hart and Becky Jardine, Don Jardine's widow. You do? Don Jardine worked it for your dad too. Yes, for I know, but I didn't know you. A lot of those photos, unless you put them in there, I knew well, I was taking them. I posted them. you when I saw, like, the only one I, I nagged you and I thought it was being a pest, I, I want to make sure I took pictures of you with Tim White. So I, I specifically posed you. But the other ones, I think you were just in their proximity. So I was just snapping away. But, you know, that was pretty cool. Uh, Autumn Ivia, uh, Rocky Johnson's widow. And, uh, and uh, Kitty Piper, or Kitty Toombs, Roddy's widow, and uh, Becky, uh, who's Don Jardines. You know, they're all legends. And then yourself, just being a legend on your own, not a widow or anything. No, um, and, and I'm, you're gonna be missed. I guess that they have somebody, but I mean, you're gonna be missed because those are the moments that if they don't know you such as you know in your history is what it was like for me just to and you caught that because it was i didn't get to see sue you know ross was coming in the king was coming in with his his gal that was asking for money she didn't want any part of that she wants to go gamble so you know <laughs> all this is going on and i see tim and um, uh, he was telling me that that time that howard wasn't doing very well and um he said it means a whole lot that you're 
saying something. I go, heck yeah, Howard, for whatever. Um, he was still somebody I got to work with and spend time with and give shit to, you know, it was like, Howard, you know, it's not just your show. It takes all of us, you know, quit withholding information. <laughs> but he went, you know, he was the kind that would hold information and just so they would come up and ask him for it. You know, I, I, so. that's a good story. That's a good story. Yeah. But um, yeah, I'd love to come back and I'm going to miss you. I understand totally, but um, it's that relationship that I would love to see that picture of Tim and Ivy is, God, how many times that that same moment would be right there in the ring and we'd be saying something, you know, we'd be discussing and, and, you know, I knew he had my back and, and, uh, or whatever was going on at the time or, uh, uh, you know, this is what's getting ready to happen. Or you do know about this, don't you? No, <laughs> no. I'll, I'll, bug, I'll bug Jonathan for your contacts and I'll send. No need to bug me. Um, I was going to say, I will exchange everybody. I will connect everybody via email. Oh, I, and uh, because I don't have any heat with anybody, Mike, that I know of. I mean, I got along with the kids, and Vince never made a move at, at, from me. We never had a, you know, an affair. Um, if anything, he was afraid of me. I guess I don't know. <laughs> Nobody really knew how what wrestling hold that my dad had taught me, but I, you know, that was a good thing. Keep him guessing. Um, so anyway, uh, he, I never, you know, I, I don't. The only heat that I would have had is because of Sherry. So that was it. If Sherry <laughs> got me in trouble, that would be, and she could get you in trouble. But um, I left their own, you know, on good terms. Um, I, I just, it wasn't meant for me to go up um, and live after, because he gave me the choice to come up there and live. I had, had a place for him, but with all that steroid thing that was happening and, um, you know, Julian, the whole thing was coming down pretty quick and papers were being signed of transferring, you know, the business over to Linda. And frankly, uh, it was time to cool, you know, pull in a lot of the, the excess. And I think, you know, of course I was excessive because I would have a job if I was up there and fly out with everybody. But, you know, he was trying to pull in that Tulsa, not, you know, that's not quite a hub, but anyway, pull that in and save where he could had to. So that was the part that it's like, well, do I do this? And um, do I, you know, we don't do the ring anymore. And do you want me just to be local? And that probably was the best thing is just cut it because otherwise, why am I at a house show and not on television? And he just, it was best, but we never, we left, we left um, friends because it, it, gosh, I'd go every time that they'd come to Tulsa, I'd go back there. Or I, I'd see him in passing or I'd get to talk to, I get to talk to Pat and I said, if Vince has any time, just let him know. But I wasn't going to run after him. He knows. And um, and then there'd be times that I got to say hi. And then because he's being pulled in a thousand different directions. Plus, I know, I know just back in, in my mind, it was like, oh, God, I hope she's not going to ask to come back. And so I had that in my mind. It was like, I, I'm just going to let him sweat and think about it because that's not my intention. It was to say hello. <laughs> you know, the people that can't ever let it go. Um, but yeah, uh, I could tell, there's so many stories that I could tell you about how they were, um, uh, gonna keep me around. So anyway, well, we we'll definitely have to have her for part two. Pardon me. Oh yeah. Part two. I have a tendency to talk. I told you once you get a hold of me, you're like, mm, but you'll get a hold of me. And again, um, thank you so much for you both 
rearranging your schedule and um, it's starting to slow down a little bit. Uh, even I guess, I don't know how California's market is out there, but um, crazy. it's, yeah, it's crazy, crazy. It makes you, I mean, and that's what I tell everybody. It was like, they go, should I sell? And I said, if you're going to put it in somewhere, but if you're going to go around and reinvest, that's where it's going to go because things are just, it's, it's crazy. And I was also, you know, realtor back 07, 08 and was in on that to where, heck, if you just had a, a heartbeat or a pulse rate that you got a, a mortgage. And of course you see what that happened. So anyway, anyway, well, I, things are good for you, Mike. And that, um, gosh, that variant I truly have been ignorant of, you know, I just probably like I thought of what, COVID was at the beginning. It's like, oh, it'll never, you know, it, it won't. And it does. The variant is real. So, uh, and I am, um, I did get vaccinated, but I hear it, you know. It's, good, um, good, good, good. Now we lost a lot of people in the biz to it. A lot of indie wrestlers, a lot of older guys. We lost Kamala, James Harris to COVID. Good guy. And I know he, his, his health isn't well and that, you know, that COVID. And, and then, the, you know, there's some Mike out there that, um, are not going to do it. They're just, I've got a friend that she just won't do it. And I'm like, Donna, this thing is real. And um, she wants to send me things about, you know, like I'm going to have six toes or grow a wing or something. And I'm like, well, until that's happened, you know, <laughs> I'm well, going to trust the, the doctor. Side effects are nothing compared to dying. Dying kind of takes precedence. I don't, I just, yeah. don't, for me personally, I just don't want to go out that way. That's all. Exactly. I don't exactly. try to convince anybody. I just don't want to, yeah yeah the struggle that's right that's right i just this is so heartwarming it may, and in a lot of ways i'm going to be sad that he's not going to be out there because it's you know you're you're an anchor and just to get to talk to you now just so much stuff that you know that we the part two will ask is you know just because i'm learning i said at the very beginning of this um i learned from talking to you all and it's um uh, how can you not? And I appreciate your interest, Jonathan, um, and how you, you know, how this impacts you. And it's the same way. I, again, I keep on reverting back. It's something that you have passionate about. You want to know everything about it, how it came to be and who was the, the key part and, and how did we get here? And I'm happy to help along the way, straighten some of the stuff out um, <laughs> and then others I'm tagging along. So, yeah. Well, and I can't wait. Oh, please. I want the, um, the Matsuda's daughter. That would be terrific yeah, for when us. When we talk, I'll, I'll put you in contact with her. She's a real sweetheart. Great. We will make that happen. Mike McGurk, thank you so much. brand is truly exciting and so glad that they are starting to make a positive impact. Little Bean Soapery is a woman-owned small business based in Northeast Pennsylvania. Little Bean Soapery does so much as all products are handcrafted and offer many different things for both men and women. Soaps, scrubs, body butters, bath bombs, solid cologne and much more. Little Bean Soapery also does things for special occasions such as birthdays, Mother's Day, Father's Day and special seasonal gift sets. But also let's not forget large orders for party favours by request. 
The great things about all products is that they are crafted to be nourishing on the skin. If you wish to check them out, please feel free to visit littlebeansopery.com. Any questions, please feel free to also email littlebeansopery at gmail.com for custom inquiries and or ask anything else you wish. Tell them that Elena from Crazy Train Radio sends you. Hi, I'm Tani Katane and I have been listening to Crazy Train Radio.